Okay, in my mind, this is where you guys all applauded really loud. <laughs> You're like, I don't, I don't know these people. What are we talking about? Uh, okay, so, hi, everybody. Here, here uh, are just some of the greatest people in Johnson County. Just really, truly believe that. I'm so honored. I'm the weak link on this stage. Totally uh, grateful for the insight and the wisdom and the life uh, mission that God's put each one of you on. Let me introduce you guys so that everybody who uh, is here in the room and watching online, there's a ton of people watching online today because of the holiday and all that stuff. Um, hi, everybody. Uh, I want to introduce to you guys, uh, first, someone who maybe around here doesn't need an introduction, but we're going to give him one anyway. Uh, Tom Bronner, right here, has been pastor... Uh, on staff here at Harlan. <clears throat> Tom, I'm going to give, I'm, I want to do this. Can I do this thing about my age and your age and the stuff like that thing? You always do. Yeah, I do. Uh, I was eight when Tom started here at Harland. I was not here at Harland, but I was eight years old when Tom started here at Heartland. And I'm so grateful for the years that you've uh, given here. Aren't you grateful for Tom's investment around here? Yeah. Tom has uh, been, been on staff and um, a, uh, an ally and a pastor uh, over care and counseling uh, here. And so, I don't know, uh, did I do a good job introducing you, Tom? You did a great job. Yeah, fantastic. Eight years old. I don't know, I think Crazy. so. Crazy. It's a, it's a pastor number, like they're always round numbers, I don't, I don't know. Uh, next to you, we have uh, Jenny Walker. Everybody say hi, Jenny. Jenny... Uh, Jenny and your husband, Carol, uh, have both been in involved here at Heartland as, um, well, you, a couple years ago, were an intern through Friends University and gave uh, many hundreds of hours of counseling services to the community right here through our building and through the partnership that we have with Friends University and with Heartland. And uh, your husband, Carol, is currently starting a year of his internship to do the same exact thing, which I think is incredible. Uh, great couple, if you don't know them, you need, you need to know them. But you uh, have recently opened your own practice here in Overland Park, uh, Wildflower uh, Family Therapy. Mm -hmm. And you are a, am I getting it right? I'm yeah. doing all the things, right? Yeah. Uh, a licensed uh, marriage and family therapist. And uh, what do you specialize in? I, I mean, I've, I Googled you the other day to make sure I got all this stuff right. But what do you specialize right from, from um. you? I work with a range of people from early adolescence into adulthood, families, couples, as well as individuals. Um, but I see a lot of anxiety and depression, suicidality, and um, just relational issues, conflict, power, stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Well, we'll get into some of those things in a, in a bit, but so grateful to have, have mm -hmm. you and, and Carol uh, continuing here at, uh, at Heartland. And then last but not least is someone who's no stranger to uh, Heartland. I don't know if uh, you and Tom can arm wrestle over who's been here longest. I think Tom might win, but it's a close, <laughs> it's a close call. This is uh, Dr. Chris uh, Haben, everybody. Dr. Chris Haben. <laughs> you and your wife have been here for... Uh, Two decades, yeah, have seen a lot of Heartland. And um, in addition to being a Heartlander, Chris, you also have a, the opportunity to serve uh, at Friends University. You're uh, a clinical supervisor to people who are um, getting their degrees. You also run a practice, uh, you know, a pr small private practice. And um, gosh, you're, a, a, in your own right, a, a heavyweight a legend around. No, 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 not like that. Not like that. I just mean every conversation I've had uh, with one of our, uh, either a psychologist or a therapist or a counselor or anyone in, our, in this, this conversation on our Mindful series, your name has come up as someone who has been influential in uh, the understanding or learning uh, from the, the professionals. And so um, that's just 
to your credit, and I feel like uh, honor where honor is due in that moment. So thanks for being here with us uh, to, to share uh, just about this uh, series. So um, what we're going to do today is have just a, a conversation. Um, we're going to keep it short, I promise you. But we're, we're going to talk uh, just, just briefly about what it is that uh, these three people who are in the, the mix of our society in ways that are maybe undetected by most of us, dealing with things that are below the surface, um, what, what they're seeing and how maybe it is that a church like ours could uh, be more mindful of what's going on, as well as how we could take steps forward to actually help us be healthy people holistically. And so uh, that's where we're going. Thank you guys for being with us and for, for tuning in. If you're someone who's like, I don't, I don't want to know. There's too much stuff out there already. I just going to ask for like maybe 25 minutes of your patience with us just to kind of go through this with us because I think, I think this is just one of the most important conversations that we, that we could have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to, before we jump into the, the heavy stuff, just ask, how is this, uh, how is this series hit you guys? Uh, has there been uh, a moment, I know you've both been tracking along with the Mindful series, has there been a moment where you've just kind of wanted to shout from the back, like, that's, that's what you need to say, or like internally you've been like, that's what I need to hear? How has this been for you guys? I loved your image of knots, because I just think anxiety and depression and the things that people deal with, that's literally how it can feel. And so just that image of having knots was really helpful. The conversation about mental health hygiene, things that we can be doing to keep ourselves functioning as well as possible. Um, I loved the message last week on lamenting, and Brad just did such a great job just bringing that, you know, in his opening conversation, because I, I think you invited us to really give ourselves permission to be honest with God in those particular moments. And I sometimes think when we wrestle with God in those authentic moments, what I love about those moments is we come out of that just sort of being reminded that God knows all about us, even in those tender moments, and loves us anyway. And I just, I just thought that was such a wonderful uh, message that you had last week, too. So I've just, I've been amening every week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This feels like a self-serving question that I ask now. Everybody's like, Dan, did you just want the kudos? But no, it's really cool to hear how God, God's been working that through. Yeah. Jenny, you were going to say yeah. something? Yeah. No, I agree. It's been meaningful. Um, as a clinician and someone who's, before I became a clinician, was in the ministry world, um, I think the integration is... And very important. I think we're holistic beings, mind, body, spirit, and the more that we can integrate all of that into a way that is accessible to people. Um, to you guys, you guys have been speaking. They're not enemies of each other. You know, they they're not opposing forces. These are all the resources that God's given us to try to grow towards healing and transformation. I think it's been really good. Yeah, Tom, you've thought about this question: How does the church interact with um, the <clears throat> mental health community for some time? Um, what does it mean for you that Heartland is just taking a stand for five weeks to say, this is something that God cares about, that we care about? How's that felt for you? Um, it, it's felt really, really powerful. It's felt really, really right. It's felt really, really like the heart of Jesus. And particularly uh, the comments about lament, Chris's comments about your message. I heard this quote once. Uh, one of my favorite authors, Dr. David Benner, says, God is far too real for us to bring anything but our real selves before him. Hmm. How much he loves us, he can engage with us there and desires to engage with us there. So to me, um, to be a church where it's okay to not be okay simply recognizes the human condition. 
and takes it seriously as uh, as um, as we are fellow kind of journeyers on the path um, um, towards God. And um, we need each other, and we need each other authentically. So to me, it's a treasure uh, that we're doing this because I want everyone at Heartland um, to know that they're loved, that they're seen, that they're known, that they're cherished. And if we can somehow embody even a little bit of that and reflect that, it's, it's a meaningful to me. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, uh, speaking to the human condition, uh, all three of you are engaged in uh, counseling practices, therapy. You, you have uh, services that you, you are, are offering to people who are coming in your office and sharing. You know, I think about it this way. It feels like they're, they're spilling their guts to you. And sometimes th they are, you know, the, the whole process of sharing everything about their lives. And so you get a, a picture into a lot of people's specifics, but over time those specifics form generalities, things that you see in a lot of people maybe the common, the common challenges that our society are up against. What are, what are you, if you could just name those things, what are you seeing on a consistent basis that people are bumping up against when it comes to their mental health? Anxiety is very common. Uh, depression, uh, we, uh, we, I have a number of students that come in and they're dealing with clients who are dealing with suicidal ideation, uh, tendencies towards self-harm, Lots of times it's just issues with coping and strategies that we're using in terms of coping that aren't the best, uh, moving into addiction sometimes or uh, violate, getting into conflictual relationships uh, with people that are important to them or maybe violating covenants, those types of things. Hmm. Mm -hmm. um, with my younger population, and this is kind of, when I say young, I'm kind of saying 11 to like late 20s because um, I don't work with anybody younger than 11 in my office. Um, there's a lot of um, kind of battles in the home or even within themselves about how to engage technology. Um, there is, along with the anxiety, the depression, the suicidal ideation, the way that just culture in general and our access to like so much um, variety online and with our phones kind of causes a lot of turmoil in the home and for the family. Um, and then there's a lot of relational conflict as a result of that and then an increased um, amount of anxiety and depression in teenagers or people that are going through these life transitions trying to figure out who they are and what they believe, where they belong. Um, it's really overwhelming and can lead to despairing things like suicide. So Let's, uh, let's start maybe with anxiety. Hmm? Um, when I was uh, in high school, everybody had anxiety. It meant like they twitched a little bit and they're just like nervous. You know, there's a test coming up and I was anxious about it. I've mm -hmm. got anxiety. But I think um, maybe our culture has overused words that are mental health words and maybe used them in the wrong way. And so I think in all these conversations, it's important to define our terms. How would you help us understand the characteristics of uh, anxiety in, in the sense of what we're talking about here? I think anxiety is a very interesting kind of thing because strangely to say it actually I think in some ways is a God-given thing to keep us alive and to keep us safe. There are things for which we should be anxious about. Um, anxiety, when you feel anxiousness, you, you have sweaty palms much like this. Uh, or you, 
um, you can feel your heart rate going up or your breathing going up, kind of the things that are common to panic attacks. Um, the thing is we're designed really for those acute moments of anxiety to pass quickly and then to sort of return. Chronic anxiety is, is when that just doesn't, that doesn't dissipate and it just feels oppressive. Like I can't, that feeling of I walk into this room and anxiety is still with me. I can't leave it behind and it impacts my focus, my, my ability to concentrate, my capacity to function, and it just feels like I'm in a constant state of threat in a lot of ways. Uh, and so it's that sort of ongoing stressful kind of response. Now to your point, I, you know, I think uh, there's an optimal level of anxiety sometimes. I, I, I think it's good that I might get anxious about a test coming up because it helps me think, well, I should prepare for that. Athletes talk about, I get butterflies in my stomach before the big game. That's probably because they're invested in what's going on. So I don't mean to completely demonize anxiety. It's a kind of a God-given thing that, that can turn south if it gets too, uh, too um, I don't know, overused. Yeah. Too chronic. There you go. Thank you. I like <laughs> to think of chronic anxiety as glitter. We all know what happens with glitter. It gets everywhere. It's really hard to get rid of, hard to clean up, kind of feels like it's always with us. Um, and I think in young people, anxiety can present as like an irritable mood or anger. And that can be really confusing for parents or caregivers um, because that can be received relationally as disrespect or sass or um, defiance. And now we not only have somebody that has anxiety they need help with, but we have a relational reality. And now the glitter's on everyone in the family, so, yeah. You know, Dan, one of the things that I think when we keep unpacking anxiety and like, so what really is that threat that I was talking about? When you take that, when you peel that back, it often gets back to some version of, do I feel safe or do I matter? Mm -hmm. And um, I think that those are kind of common messages that really bring about that threat on some level. Yeah, and so uh, w what you guys are sharing is that sometimes we manifest anxiety. So there's this, this challenge of trying to interpret how the other person is feeling. And sometimes, you know, as a parent, we can return um, authority to anxiety, which causes even more challenges. Isn't life fun? Mm -hmm. uh, and how we can sometimes uh, fall off, off the rails a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think about what what the Bible says about anxiety. And sometimes um, we, we can use the Bible against us. Uh, you know, there's uh, these moments of be anxious for nothing, right, the Bible says. And, um, and as a pastor, Tom, I'm just curious for you, how, how do you help people understand uh, the, the, the reality that um, there is a real peace offered through the gospel, right. but there are gonna be, that doesn't mean that your anxiety necessarily goes away, mm -hmm. right? How do you help people navigate that tension? You know, it's, it's, it's really a delicate and a complex thing, but to be anxious for nothing, um, I believe in that context means um, don't stop trusting God in these moments, though things might look um, kind of grim. One of the, one of the distinctives between um, Chris and Jenny and myself is that I am not them and they are not me. So. I come alongside in a pastoral sense and uh, as a sacred companion, so to speak, and we just try and explore 
try and locate God in, in whatever the context is. And I depend on the Chris's and the Jenny's to really bring the professional uh, precision of uh, the, the kind of the surgical mental health work in, 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 in terms of creating healing strategies and paths. And um, I, I come alongside. And when we can't feel God or discern God or see God, it's to be a reminder, don't be anxious about that part. Hmm. Um, let's work on being accessible to him. His presence is there. Yeah. That's a non-negotiable. Sometimes we're in positions where we can't see it, we can't feel it, or sometimes we, we don't want to. Hmm. I know for me, when I struggle, for whatever reason after all these years, I have a tendency to turn away from God a little bit and to turn away from others. And that's entirely too much privacy. I mean, it's isolation and, uh, and, it, and it, it's just not helpful. I don't think my brokenness or any of our brokenness surprises God in the least. I think perhaps what surprises him is when we don't turn immediately towards him in those moments and discern and approach his wide open arms, the smile on his face and the desire to, to love us. So Yeah, yeah, that's well said. Uh, we, we've covered anxiety just a, a bit, just to say, here's what it looks like. And um, the other side of that is the depression side. And uh, you even hinted at some depressive um, behaviors there. But for, for, you know, for the, the many of us who don't study depression, we just kind of think it's feeling sad or feeling blue. And we think of that scene where Michael Scott's on the top of Dunder Mifflin, and that's all we think about. Um, what, what would you say for us uh, about depression? What is it? And, and maybe what would it, what would be a way for us to, to know what it feels like for someone who's in a depressed state? Depression is a mood disorder. Uh, and the, the criteria of a mood disorder that are common in depression are um, a, a great measure of fatigue, that sort of feeling like I can't get out of bed, a sense of hopelessness. Uh, there's a, a common experience of either sleeping way more or sleeping far less. Of change, Your eating becomes something where you, you can't eat anymore or you can't stop eating. It's, it's, and, and a lot of times some suicidal thinking can come along, that, along with that. But it's just this overwhelming kind of uh, oppressive sort of low mood that persists. Yeah, Jenny, would you help us know, like, how, how do the people that you're seeing today, how do they, how do they experience that? Like, what does that feel like for them? Yeah, and part of how we assess for something like a mood disorder, like depression, is we're looking if it's also being reported by people, the p other people in this person's life. So usually this is a noticeable shift that other people are aware of and are seeing. And so kind of um, parents reporting things is helpful, kind of paying attention to this has shifted and then this has changed and then I can kind of look, is this just a normal adolescent? You're sleeping a lot more or is there something else going on? Because um, some of these things can be really tricky depending on the age of the person. Teenagers are are prone to bigger like mood swings just naturally. They have big feelings and they go extremely high and they go extremely low and that can all happen in 10 seconds. Um, and, and so I think 
talking with a professional can really help discern, like, what's going on here? Is there something that's been lasting for a while that's different, that you're not really feeling relief from? Um, and how is that different from maybe something you're grieving? Or um, some of these things present organically, like medication might be needed. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so uh, let me just offer myself as the foil. Uh, to this, I, I, you know, I was been raised in the same country that I, you know, most of us have been raised in, and, and taught that one of the greatest virtues that we have as Americans is to be independent, self-sufficient people. Um, the, our whole entire life is a trajectory of um, dependence to independence, mm -hmm. right? Now, that's not totally true. We all get that. We're we're all kind of savvy enough to know that the quest for your independence is probably the wrong quest. But it's led me to believe that um, as an adult, I should be able to manage myself. I should be able, in moments of anxiety or depression, I should be able to think and pray my way out of it myself. I should be able to, as an adult, untangle the knots of my life on my own. That's part of what it means for me to be a healthy person. I should be able to regulate myself. Um, do you think that's a fair expectation for a healthy adult to feel that they should be able to back themselves out of whatever corner they find themselves into? I think it's a natural thing to think. I don't think it's how we're designed. I, I really believe we are created to be relational beings. That's part of why we're in the field that we are, because it's so focused on relationship. And there's just so much value, I think, in, in being, taking that risk of being vulnerable with another person and sharing those parts of yourself that are far more tender. In the long run, it creates um, uh, greater intimacy, greater connection, and there are so many positive benefits uh, that come out of it. I can understand where a person would fear, boy, if I share this, people are going to think less of me, I'm going to feel judged, I'm going to feel looked down upon, like I don't have good game. And so I think it's a natural kind of thing, but I don't think it's the way we're designed to roll. Mm -hmm. So is there like a threshold at like which you know, you hit this moment, you should pick up the phone and make a call. Like, what, do you, what, what would you say to the person who's wondering? I know all, so many of us wonder, like, maybe I'll just go to Google first and see if I can, you know, WebMD my way out of this. Uh, well, I mean, when do I call? I think if you're thinking, should I call, you should call. Yeah. <laughs> For okay. sure. I think that's your first sign. Um, but I also think if you're interested in trying to, if you feel like something's going on, um, and maybe it's not all the time, but it just kind of persistently is, is coming forward and it's affecting your relationships and the way you function and the way you do your job and it's affecting your ability to have happiness, you know, whatever it is, it's anxiety, depression, something like a relational problem. Um, don't go to TikTok therapy, which a lot of people are doing. Um, and just try to find a community of people that all feel like you, and this is what we think it is, and we can all diagnose ourselves, and then we're gonna be fine. Um, go talk to someone you trust first. I love the Herndons up here, kind of being that first person for each other, you know, of, hey, I think you should talk to someone. So if people are saying that to you, listen. Have the ability to receive that. That's a loving thing that someone's saying to you. They might not say it with a loving tone all the time, but they love you. And then. Um, yeah, you can, there's so many resources to be able to plug yourself into an initial consultation or conversation with somebody. But if you're wondering, then yes, I see a therapist. I am a therapist and I have a therapist. There are things I can't metabolize on my own 
as a part of my own healing journey, things I've been through, things that are part of a, a really hard thing I went through, but also as we peel it back, it's like it, I've been in a really broken world for a really long time and I'm a human and the world's affected how I view myself. And that is something I want to like, I want to see clearly, I want to be integrated in who I am. And so I sit with someone and we talk about it and we explore it and it's been really helpful. And I'm not in a big crisis right now, but it's yeah. a, you, it's you use the word integrated. Mm-hmm. Let me do a, a nerdy pastor mm-hmm. uh, dialectical thing real fast. So integrated, uh, integrity, integer. Yes. All three related words, they mean whole, mm-hmm. one. If you have a fraction, you are half of something, a third of something divided, you are split up. Mm-hmm. And one of the calls that we, we believe Jesus calls us to, the Spirit's power in us, is to create whole people uh, out of us, right? We are fractured by sin. We believe that Jesus is uh, the way that that sin gets dealt with, but there's this healing restoration process that the Spirit brings us upon to transform our minds, to be renewed, right? All these things. This is stuff that churches talk about ad nauseum. Um, one of the things that really struck, stuck out to me at the beginning of this journey uh, through the Mindful series, you know, I sat down with multiple counselors and therapists and mental health professionals, pastors, uh, other leaders, and asked a million questions. And one of, the, um, one of the statements that came back to me about what separates a pastor from a, a mental health professional is the fact that a mental health professional is trying to help a person live a whole life, to be true to whatever it is they believe they should be true to. Mm-hmm. Whereas a pastor, I'm trying to get, I mean, un- un- unapologetically, I'm trying to get you to be true to this, right? To be true to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and yet there's, a, th- there's an ally that, that our mental health professionals are for anyone to kind of be mm-hmm. allied with themselves, if I can say it that way. Um, but Jenny, you made this comment, so, so that's one thing. But you made this comment to me prior uh, to this conversation about how loving your neighbor as yourself mm-hmm. actually might mean that you need to go get help yourself. Do you remember that conversation? Mm-hmm. Do you remember that comment? Could you yeah. just say a little bit more about that? Yeah, as I've integrated my own, like, why I do therapy uh, as a believer, the greatest command, and it's a command that he gives us, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So there's that integrated whole person and love your neighbor as yourself. And we skip right over that last word and we talk about loving our neighbor all the time. Yeah. And I think you can only take someone as far as you've taken yourself. And so if you love the people in your life, you need to learn to love yourself. And a lot of times that means you need to make time to take care of yourself. Um, I do believe it's a spiritual act of worship to love ourselves. I also think it's one of the hardest things we do, can come around to doing, we're slow to do it. Um, just like we're slow to make dentist appointments and doctor's appointments, we don't think of ourselves first. Um, and I don't think that it's anti-Jesus to love ourselves. He, said, he puts it right in there. So um, I don't know if I'm hitting it. No, that's, yeah, I think that's helpful. It, I, think, I think some people who are listening to this and watching online are, are thinking about situations that maybe they're going to replay in their mind of how they've handled something or, mm-hmm. or have been told something and need to actually move on it because... It's all clicking for them. So, mm-hmm. go ahead, Chris. If, if you if you start a relationship with a therapist, that doesn't mean you're going to see them every week for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times, it's just helping that knot that you're talking about. Sometimes isn't a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's just like, oh wow, it's it's helpful to see that in a new way. Yeah. 
And that's all that you need. And sometimes it's, it's more involved with that. Sometimes we pull on that string and we find things that are, that are more tender and have been there for a long time that maybe we haven't looked at. And that might take more time. But mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't want a person to think just because I start a relationship of some kind with a therapist that that's going to mean that's a life sentence of some kind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, to shift gears just slightly, we know that failure to seek help can lead to more tragic outcomes. Mm -hmm. And of course, I'm talking about suicide. Suicide is a part of our culture in very poignantly powerful ways. Um, hardly anyone that I talk to has escaped suicide as a reality. Mm -hmm. Maybe a friend, a friend's parent, uh, a, a neighbor, a loved one. One of the um, greatest outpourings of gratitude from Heartlanders to, to our, our staff has been around those of you who have experienced this topic in your own families and it's brought you through a whole journey. And to see how you've been healed and restored and, and, and how this hasn't been um, the, the end marker of your story, but actually a, a thing that God led you through and came out stronger. That's been encouraging to me, but it took us as a church to say something about mental health for us to feel safe to actually talk about our own really significant journeys. So I just want to start with a basic question. Why do you think it's so hard for us to talk about suicide? Mm -hmm. uh, again, I, I sometimes think it's a judgment uh, uh, kind of word that I'm afraid that if I mention that to somebody, I, I'm going to be judged for having that kind of thought. Or I'm afraid of if I tell somebody, what are you going to do and where am I going to wind up? So on that, that sort of, I really want help and it scares the heck out of me mm. uh, mm -hmm. to have it because I don't know where I will, who you'll call, who you'll tell and where I will wind up being. I, I also think we feel like if we talk about it, we give it more power mm. and the opposite's really true. So... Um, Wait, say that again. If, I think we believe that if we talk about suicide that we give it more power. And I think the opposite's true. Because whenever, to Tom's point earlier, personally talking about isolating himself, um, isolation is a place that is very lonely. Um, and harder things grow when we're isolated. Um, and shame is often a very wrapped into suicide, um, into either ideations or actions. Um, and shame grows in secret and silence and isolation. And so when we talk about it, we actually sprinkle light onto it. We take a little bit of the power away. We can begin a conversation. Um, and I, I experience in my office with people when they, when they say it, they, and I say, that makes sense that you feel that way. And it's not the, we need to figure this out. We need to admit you, you need to, you know, um, I just hold that space with them and we really talk about and let that be heard, that part that's so burdened with that thought or that idea, they feel better. There's a difference, and, and I'm learning this myself, uh, but maybe you could clarify this for all of us. There's a difference between um, suicidal ideation and then acting on mm -hmm. that ideation. What, what, this kind of feels like splitting hairs to me, but I think it's profoundly important, particularly because um, we have a generation that's rising up right now that's growing up, and um, this, is, this is a mm -hmm. growing part 
of their awareness and reality. Mm -hmm. And the friction, again, to your point of parents and kids could be one of misunderstanding and, mm -hmm. and whatnot. What, what would be the difference between those two concepts, ideation and then attempts? Uh, ideation is I just have, I'm having thoughts of suicide. I'm thinking about it, it's crossed my mind. And, and I don't know about all of you, but I think most people will say at some point in my life when I felt a bit trapped about life circumstances, it at least crosses our mind. It's, a, it's an escape uh, from that potential pain or it's a coping strategy, oddly enough to say. Um, so the, to, to have a suicidal thought is just, I, I thought of it. Obviously, action is I've taken a step to really try to bring harm to myself. And uh, there are many different levels of, uh, of, of how, levels of how active you are in terms of those attempts. Mm -hmm. and, and certainly there's a variety of, I mean, it can have a passing thought. That, uh, and, and, and many people will say to us um, when, when we press into that, so I, I hear you, what, tell me more about that. I'm like, well, I just don't want to be here right now. Hmm. Uh, so sometimes they're, they're kind of passive thoughts, and sometimes they, they get far more active, and that's where it gets more concerning. Do I have a specific plan? Do I, what type of plan would do? I have access to that plan. Those can start to point to greater levels of severity. Yeah. What, what would you want someone who's watching right now, uh, listening to our conversation, and they're... Um, they're beyond just ideation. They've, they've been thinking about this and just feel the weight of life. What would you want them to know? Um, I would want you to hear that your pain matters. Um, and you're obviously in a lot of pain. Part of you is really hurting um, to even be considering this, to feel like this is the best thing that could happen to you. Um, but I would want you to hear that's just a part of you. It's not all of you. Um, and there's so much more to you than that part and what that part is kind of clinging to. And with the help of somebody that feels safe, um, you can, we can help unburden that part from that being the option for the path forward. Um, I think Dr. Haven says it well when he says, um, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And I agree with that. Feelings. Feelings are really intense. Feelings are meant to be indicators. Something's up. That's one of those signs. If you're having those feelings, it's like a dashboard on a car. It's flickering at you. Change your oil. Change your oil until it's permanently on. Change your oil. You yeah. know. Yeah. And so if you're, you know, stuck in an ideating place or taking time to make a plan, that's an indicator that you need to talk to somebody. Um, it's an indicator that there's a feeling that's overwhelming that you can't carry by yourself. Um, but we weren't meant to carry these things alone. And feelings are meant to come and go. Um, and a lot of people that, and I can't say this for everybody, but a lot of people that start talking about this with somebody end up moving on from it. Yeah. And it becomes a part of their past. Yeah. Um, and that is really, that's a hopeful thing. Yeah. So. Tom, I would love to put you on the spot. Sure. But um, thank you, Jenny, for talking to that situation. Yeah. I, I wonder if you could share um, just a, a bit of hope with us. Um, you know, so many people have been impacted by right. someone uh, that we loved uh, who has taken their own life. What would you say to people who are kind of trying to navigate that other side? With a loved one or a yeah. friend. Yeah. Um, presence is everything. 
Um, there are no words. There are no right words. Um, um, words are secondary. Presence is primary. Expressions of love, expressions of value. If you could be a mirror uh, to reflect back to them the goodness that God has created in them and just help them see that. And I was told something that was absolutely revolutionary to me. It's changed the way I look at human beings and will for the rest of my life. Should be a no-duh. I'm a little bit of a late adopter to this, but and it's just this. You will never look into the eyes of anyone that God doesn't love deeply. You will never look into the eyes of anyone that God hasn't created or doesn't love deeply. So we need to be really careful. And that includes when we look in the mirror. And if we can help people understand um, how beautiful they are in the midst of not feeling that, how valuable they are in the midst of not feeling that, and how um, to touch somehow the dignity of their own soul because they're created by God. And um, your presence does that, your love does that, appropriate physical touch does that. So that's what I would offer. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah. Chris, I'm going to give you the last question here just as a maybe a more hopeful uh, summary of all of this. Having been in the, in, you know, the industry that you're in, 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 in the sense of helping and caring and helping people um, untangle the knots of their life and to become more mindful of their lives, um, what's the payoff? Like, what's the hope for us as a society, as a community, if we were to be a place where uh, people could, um, with openness, be known and loved? kind of what Tom's talking about here, to, to be recognized as someone of dignity, value, and worth, even in the midst of our own struggle. What's the payoff in, in your mind? I, I just think it's an intimate one that, that we as a, as a community become far more intimate with each other. And we've often talked, the three of, three of us have often talked about just our, I think we're wired and desire to know others and to be known. And that's a really exciting thing, and it's also incredibly risky and vulnerable. And that's why when the Herndon shared, it was such a, it was such a precious thing. There's vulnerable. I mean, therapists and pastors all have the same kinds of uh, challenges. We're not immune from those things. But when we can share those with another person, accept them, hear them, not, I mean, just uh, really uh, help a person process that. I think intimacy, connectedness, inclusion. All those things that I think that we're hungry for are the result of that. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, uh, thank you for listening along. I want to just have a moment to just say thank you to, to our, our panelists here, for Tom, Jenny, and Chris. Would you guys just thank them for a moment? All right, love you guys. We're going to shift gears here to the conclusion. I've asked them to stick around and go talk to a camera out in the lobby to, to talk to you who are watching uh, online to give you just a little bit more of the conversation. So if you uh, feel left out because you showed up to church and this is backwards, you should get more because you're here and they're not here. And so just go online and follow the rest later. But they're going to go sneak out and do that. Is that cool? Is that all right? Uh, here's what I want to say to us in the room right now. Um, we've spent five weeks as a church thinking about what it means for us to recognize the fact that all of our minds are full of knots. And that this matters to 
God. This matters to us. It matters to Jesus. He himself uh, came to give us a path forward in community. So I just want to ask the question, what does this mean for us as a community? Um, and what is the path forward for us as we think about what it, what it is to love Johnson County and to, to love where God has put us. And, and I just want to give us three just really basic observations. They've already been said today, which is what, why I love that these are the summary points. The first, the first is that this is a church and we will be a church where it is okay to not be okay. Is that true? I think you've heard so many reasons why every single one of us walks into here needing the help and the support of God and our neighbor. And so we as a church want to make sure that we do everything in our power to make sure that people who are hurting and are far from God can come in to hear the life-changing message of Jesus and find real hope in a family and a community right here in the midst of their pain. But that leads us to the second thing. I think a lot of churches say that, but a lot of churches expect you to change overnight with the flip of a switch. And isn't it true that God's a little bit more patient than we are? Isn't that really frustrating for us too? And so I think that's the second bit is just to say, we wanna be a church, a mindful church is a church that is patient with one another for whatever part of the journey you're on. I don't know how this is gonna play out over the coming weeks and months uh, in our community as you interact with one another and we may presume upon each other that you should be better by now than you are. But when those thoughts come up, can we please just turn the mirror upon ourselves and say, I should be better by now than I am? Goodness gracious. I'm glad that God is more patient than we are. And then last but not least, I think what it means for us to be a mindful community, what we've learned over these past couple of weeks is simply this, and you, you heard uh, Jenny say this, you heard Tom say this, is that your pain and your story matters here. We, we've gathered so many different um, stories of people who have uh, reached out to us by sending us an email uh, to our church, by dropping us a line through our website, by Facebooking us, just to say, hey, I'm so glad you're talking about this because it's been an important part of my life. Here's my story. And we welcome that. If you want to share your story with us, it would be an honor for us to hear and to process that. And I look forward to sharing some more of those stories with our whole entire church in the future because their stories, their moments in real time, in real life, how God's made a real difference in you. And I want you to know this, is that when you walk through the doors here at Harland, you're not just a, a, a name uh, on a list, you're not just a face in a crowd, you're more than those things, you are a person who is made in God's image that God loves so deeply that it's worth it for your story to be told and to be heard. And so we just want to say to you, thank you for staying with us for these five weeks in the series. And we hope that they've helped you take further steps into this conversation of how to be a holistic person. We are just starting this conversation. We will be keeping it going in the future. And for all of that, we say thank you. This has been Mindful. And that's it.